Um. <laughs> Which is really where. <laughs> it's true. Like I just. <laughs> Seeing Red the Pod, episode 66, where we always discuss the latest Nebraska issues. I'm Stephanie, and here with me today are Melody, April, and our guest host, Megan Stock. Welcome, ladies. How's it going? Megan Stock! <laughs> Thank you for having me. You tried to squeal, Melody, and then you actually went silent because the mic didn't know what to do with you. Um, that is actually a really big problem when I do karaoke, that like, (laughs) karaoke problems. Is it like my voice pitch, it like changes a lot when I'm speaking. My sister had a keychain once and if you like whistled, it would beep, but she had to get rid of it because we were living, because we were living together in the same apartment and it was constantly beeping because my when I get excited and tell a story, my, <laughs> my voice would hit whatever that keychain was looking for of a whistle tone. Uh, like it's a problem. It's actually, is just a problem with like microphones for me. <laughs> my college roommate had like one of those fountains that you could clap and it would turn on. Mm. And every time I would laugh really hard, it would <laughs> turn on or turn off. <laughs> uh-huh. It's a thing. Mm. It's a thing. Uh, so I am excited because we wanted, there are so much, like so much conversation going on around TIFF. And while we weren't really sure like who exactly is a TIFF expert, we do know somebody who has read a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And she just knows a mountain more than we do, which we thought was a good start. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're just going to consider her an expert. (laughs) Because, you know, she's a brilliant woman who's done her homework. uh, And that is really makes you smarter than most politicians and pretty much everyone else. Uh, That's kind of how this stuff works. So So, I'll say that probably part of the reason that I am so passionate about TIFF and whether or not it's being used appropriately is because I do work in a school. If we want to start like at the very basic of how a, a TIFF project works, we can start there. I don't know how much where your guys' base knowledge is on that. Well, like what is TIFF? And so I think of the listeners, not us, even though we're probably also uneducated. Yeah. I <laughs> so, mean, consider I don't know anything because I feel like I know so little. You just might as well start there and assume I know nothing. Well, let's start I'll, with I'll 1929. Oh, we're going wow. Back. Okay, be a long pod, <laughs> which is really where urban redevelopment began. <laughs> okay, um, so I am going to actually start with 1929 because uh, back then um, we had, like, even at the height of economics, um, 50% of people were still living like just barely subsistence living, and so we had all these um, properties that 
didn't have plumbing. They were um, really dilapidated. And so part of the, uh, the public works administration um, was to revitalize those. And so all this federal money came into eliminating um, urban blight. And so that's how this whole idea of redevelopment ever got started. And then like anything, um, it evolved around the 60s and 70s. Um, actually, TIP was invented in the in California in the 50s as like a way to do like a local match for the federal funding. But then by the 70s, um, public funding on a federal level just completely stopped. And so what you had was you had all these um, urban redevelopment departments, you know, like in Lincoln, it's our Dan Marvin and, uh, and their group. Um, in which case, if you know anything about bureaucracies, it's very hard to stop them once they're already in motion. And so with the federal funding drying up, TIF became a way to keep their programs going and continue to redevelop this idea of urban blight. So what a TIF is, is tax increment financing. So you take a project and you look at the base amount and then they say, okay, nobody's developing this area. We want to add value to it. So everything above the base amount of what would go to your regular taxing authorities, basically schools and municipalities um, will remain the same. So you're still going to get your base amount, but everything above that for the next 15 years is what we're going to do is what we're going to use to repay that initial investment. Does that make sense? You know, what's interesting is like just when the dates, um, well, like 1929, 28-ish, that's like right when Fannie Mae started. And so the federal government really got into the business of backing home loans. And then, you know, you said the 50s, 60s, 70s, something like that. Right about that time, there were, just because I just know a lot about the mortgage industry, there were a huge pile of federal laws. It was like the biggest group of federal laws about mortgages until like Elizabeth Warren made, um, and you know, in the Frank Dodd Act and the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau. But back in that kind of around that same time period, there were all of these laws about we're going to ban redlining, even though Fannie Mae invented it, um, which is just kind of a funny thing for like the federal government invents something and then it bans it because it's so bad. Uh, <laughs> like interesting it's an interesting like move on their part instead of saying like we're going to stop doing it they're going to say it's bad that banks do this um (laughs) but that's separate uh so that's interesting that the the tax increment finance piece um is somehow like hanging around the mortgage piece like they're probably thinking like the same people are probably um working on them is my guess Right. Well, and around that same time after the crash, you would have had a lot of people moving from home ownership to a rental situation. And then they didn't have any rental, like livable rental units because everything was so you know, dilapidated, as they say. So that was another reason for this investment in um, adequate housing at that time and job creation, et cetera, from the, from the public works administration. Now, Obviously, that's like a very simplified like version of this and every state and even municipalities, it varies like the difference between like Omaha and Lincoln. Um, You know, you can use it different ways. And actually, interestingly enough, California 
being the first place to use TIFF has also since banned it because um, it just... Well, there's a lot of issues we'll get to. <laughs> right, right. It just uh, harmed their school districts to the point where they couldn't function any longer. So um, anyway. Chicago teachers have striked over the overuse of TIFF mm-hmm. um, because it cuts off schools' primary revenue. Right, right. And so that's where... I mean, that's kind of how I look at it in the sense that we as teachers, I feel like are bearing the first, like we're paying the first bill of it, you know, like classroom sizes are getting larger. <laughs> and I mean, we can blame, we can blame the, the legislature for a decrease in state aid, but I don't see that changing anytime soon. So we have to also look and see what we can do more locally. Anyway, so that's kind of like the history of it um, in, in like federal terms, but locally, you know, I think one of the issues is that we have seen such a huge increase in it. So for example, let me check my tabs here. I've got like a hundred of them open, but if you look at in 2005, the TIF project count for Lancaster County was 16 16 total active projects. So that means projects that are, that we're collecting revenue on are within the 15 year window. And now if we go to the 2020 year, no, 2019 is what I have open. The suspense is killing me. I'm afraid to hear. (laughs) 2019 was 69 projects. So these are big projects where a lot of taxes are being missed out on. This isn't like the addition on the back of your house (laughs) and the value that might add. Right. And then I think that also gets into kind of a more, I mean, I saw an article a few days ago that was talking about decrease in number of tickets given in the city and how that impacts school funding because some of that goes there. But they said that LPS um, had a one and a half percent decrease in budget uh, year over year. And that is massive um, for our school district. And I'm, I know this has to have a huge part in it. Yeah. So like <clears throat> the 69 projects that we had in 2019 equates to 12.1 million in excess or, you know, excess taxes that are above the base. So a school district that's like, you know, around 7 million, which is a lot of, a lot of that's huge teachers that you could hire for different things. So um, now there's been a like, I mean, of course, there's like the usual issues that people bring up, which is in order to meet a standard of a TIF project, you have to meet the like but for clause, which is that a developer wouldn't do this project but for tax increment financing, disincentive. And so like, at what point do we, I don't know, call their bluff on it, you know? Mm -hmm. I read just recently before I even knew you were coming on the show, the, the article in the reader, Omaha reader recently about TIFF in Omaha. And they had a lot of issues with it lately. They have, but also they interviewed some of the city council people who have to vote on whether or not to approve these. Mm-hmm. And he flat out says, 
yeah, we're not, we don't really know how to evaluate these. We just have to vote on them. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, how is that part of your role that you know, nobody teaches you how to evaluate this? This feels like a flaw in the system. Right. Well, like I was looking through, um, I was like digging through to find redevelopment plans to see if the city actually puts up some sort of standards for the but four clause. And like one of them, I, I think it was Antelope Valley, which was a huge project. There's like one line in it. It just says public improvements and enhancements proposed in this plan amendment would not occur, but for the tax increment financing generated by private development within the project area. That's it. That's it's just like one sentence. Like we're just supposed to believe them. <laughs> Although I'm a little confused. Wasn't Antelope Valley the flood control thing? Yes, but it was all part of a big... How was private investment involved in that? There was a lot of projects that... um, Assurity was a huge one that fell into Antelope Valley. Um, Yeah, they built over there. Yeah, there was a... a And it's one of those things where... You know, and I'm not as familiar as how they're using TIF in Omaha, but like in Lincoln, we have a brand new building. There are going to be, I don't know, a hundred apartments that they're going, and they're going, they're fancy. They're fancy student they're housing, affordable. allegedly. You can see I'm like yeah. doing a quote, like it's like student housing, allegedly. They're going to be like a thousand bucks a month, which is not student housing priced. Um, and then they're like, oh, but we need, we need, we're putting in affordable housing because there are going to be like 10 affordable apartments. Um, that's not a thing that our tax dollars should be, um, helping enrich people over. Like, that's not a real thing. Mm -hmm. And here's something really strange. So my, uh, sister does, uh, real estate things and she, worked for this guy who bought a new apartment complex, which is a weird concept, right? Because these people have been living here for a really long time. And it's weird that like all of the equity and ownership in their homes can just be passed to somebody else without them being able to like buy out their apartment in some kind of way, which is weird anyway to me. But so this guy bought this apartment complex and people had section eight, um, approvals, which means the government helps pay for their housing or pays for it entirely. And then, but the section eight doesn't follow them. It's doesn't, it's not for the, the apartment, the it's for the owner. So when the new owner came, he didn't get those section eight approvals right away because there's a lag time in like the federal government approval process. Mm-hmm. And what, what that, what all that gobbledygook really actually means is that this guy was trying to get my sister to make these poor people pay up their apartment rent when they already had free housing. So um, like so some they of were these screwed. projects that we're doing that have 10 affordable housing units could fall into the same issue. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So wow. um, my sister ended up quitting working for him because he was a giant sleazeball in a thousand ways, but that's one of them, right? Where he knows he's going to get section eight approval in like a month, but he's like, well then just pay me the one month of rent instead of eating it. You know, <laughs> like how gross. Um, yeah. But you know, why wouldn't, 
I just didn't understand why it didn't ma- wasn't for the apartment, why it was linked to the owner of the apartment. So, so how does the how does these TIF things how do they follow the actual things we're building, or are they clinging to the owners? Like, who knows? And that's I was the other really thing shocked too. about that it's so, thing. Like clouded in secrecy, it's hard to find much information about about a lot of like their plans and stuff. Um, so like one of the, I mean, they have like a, this, the state does require a TIF report from every municipality. And so it's all compiled and stuff like that. But like, there might be about a sentence on there, about what they were using the TIF for, which part was the public enhancement. So for example, the um, lead place apartment building, they were using their TIF money for street facades and lobbying, something in the lobby. And I was like, I don't know how the lobby of this fancy high-end apartment complex needs public financing, you know? Right. Unless it's like, oh, because we're going to offer public bathrooms and it is a public good to have beautiful spaces for people. And they're going to have a little library in there or, but like, that's not what they're doing, right? Right. They're not, it's not going to be a public bathroom. There's not going to be a little library in there. There's not going to be a fountain where people go and take wedding pictures in front of their gorgeous fountain. It's not going to be that. It's going to be shitty art and like maybe (laughs) some like the good tiles like on the floor. (laughs) Like that's it. That's all they're doing. And that's like trash, right? That's, that doesn't make any sense. There was actually um, a TIF project and I was, it's in the report and I was reminded of it when I was looking through reports that um, actually an elected official used as an example for the merits of TIF at one point, And it was an Applebee's, the downtown Applebee's. And, and so- the example used was that it was going to, you know, increase revenue. And I was like, do you think like, are you so far removed from the citizens of Lincoln that you think we're all just saving our money because there isn't a nice enough Applebee's downtown? Right? <laughs> I mean, and also, have are you, you seen profit margins on restaurants? They're not right very now. high. <laughs> you know, Nobody. that's the other thing too. Is like we, it's like this wheel that I just don't ever see the end to. We put in so much redevelopment down in the Haymarket, and. And I, I worked at a bar when the Haymarket was all happening. And so, you know, we lost business because everybody had to go down to the Haymarket and check it out. And so when there's this, this idea like, oh, look at this, look at this game day Saturday. Look at all this revenue we generated with this huge redevelopment project. I'm like, just you didn't create it. it. You just moved it. <laughs> and now we're redeveloping O Street because no one's there because they're all down at the Haymarket. So I don't, I mean, we have a finite number of alcoholics in Lincoln to go frequent these bars. <laughs> At some point, we have to just stop publicly financing it, you know? Sure. Well, and it's one of those things where it's like, maybe we should, this is crazy, right? This is just crazy. But like, maybe we should stop putting real estate developers on our city councils. Gosh. I mean... Doesn't, I, I, I thought like, that's all city council was for. Like all of the <laughs> TIF growth, which is literally, literally like, I, I just think like, and maybe I'm oversimplifying this. And if I am, you know, somebody corrects me, but 
the way I understand TIF financing is you get a tax break. So our public dollars, which means our public dollars are funding incredibly profitable businesses. We're, we're helping rich people get richer while they're paying low wage labor jobs. Exactly. But I mean, this is not <laughs> right. Like I want an amazing downtown. Right. And if we're going to partner and say like, Hey, you know, we want you to dump a bunch of money in our downtown and build like something cool and amazing and whatever. Like, I love that big screen thing in downtown Lincoln. Like if you go to a game, you can see like there's a big screen thing down there and it's so fun. It's cool. And there's big beer garden and whatever. But like the management of that place has changed a hundred million times. They don't, there was no real plan. Um, and like what, and the workers, it's not like the workers are being paid these great jobs with benefits and like it's rich. It's enriching rich people. They're just like, how does that help? I mean, yes, we're collecting tax revenue. So that's good. Um, on a regressive tax, uh, but we could, <laughs> like, I just can't. And, and I think that brings up the other question too, though, is that would we not have, re- have gained that tax revenue anyway? Just right. in a different location. And so that's the other piece that people argue about is that, well, you're not necessarily creating new growth. It probably would have happened anyway, just maybe not exactly where you wanted it to happen. So especially in a city like Lincoln, where we're not competing with any suburbs, like Mm -hmm. whether or not you build a hotel downtown or whether you build one over on O street, it makes no difference to me as a school district. Do you know what I'm saying? So, but now like you were talking about Omaha earlier, they approved a 17.5 million TIF project for a casino and actually, I, I think the Omaha World Herald article said Hal Dobb actually showed up and testified against it because he was like, if we're going to start handing out money for casinos, <laughs> I mean, what we've totally thrown out the standard for TIFF. Like, if they can't make it, why bother? <laughs> I, wonder, right. I wonder who owns the casino. That casino? That's a good question. I mean, everything in Omaha is ran by like 15 old rich white dudes, the Heritage Foundation and, you know. A number of things so i'm really i put that article in the um the list of just kind of links and stuff resources nice resources yeah so it's in there but I'll, I'll, we can I'll put those in the show notes there's also a pretty in- interesting um dissertation on uh just kind of it's called eminent domain as enclosure movement the privatization of law under neoliberalism he really talks about how Talk about that. Talk about talk about what that means. Well, just like because these are benefiting the social class that you know affect um, elections and politicians, it's really an easy way to be overused. It's without any oversight, and we don't have a lot of oversight. So there's also another um, link in there which is a, it's from Creighton Law Review. It's actually kind of, it's actually kind of comical. This um, attorney wrote this kind of a history of Nebraska um, 
initiatives that have been proposed in the legislature for um, oversight. So I wrote a couple of them down. Um, I think that's something that people don't always um, think about this. I shared a really, it was a really well done. I thought video in the New York times and I shared it in the seeing red Facebook group. And it was about how we often blame Republicans for bad governance. And when you look to states that are, have, you know, Democrats in Congress, in their Senate and congressional seats, and in their statewide offices like governor, attorney general, and they have majorities in the legislature, you still get really bad policy that hurts the working class and really leans hard into the suburban class. So you're kind of like upper middle class um, families. And also that those families just really tend to be much whiter. Um, and it was just like, it was a really good video and had a lot of hard evidence to support that. They had this one neighborhood in California where um, the elected officials were like, and it was a hardcore, like democratic majority city. And the, they were like, we are going to um, make this one block. We're going to change the zoning so we can put in an apartment assisted living kind of place for the elderly. Cause there's really nowhere that, for them to go because the cost of housing is bananas. And everybody in the neighborhoods around it were like, oh, hell no, not in my backyard. I don't want old people having affordable housing in my backyard. Now, I support old people having affordable housing. And in fact, I vote for candidates who want affordable housing. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't actually want it when it comes to start doing these things. Uh, and you can see in Lincoln, right, like – we have a democratic majority city it's run by democrats but then like uh we're building this apartment with tiff funding and it's like 90 luxury apartments and 10 affordable allegedly will be affordable apartments and they're all supposed to be college housing right in a city where there are you can't get a good home for a working class wage at this moment in time due to a serious housing shortage. And so this is what we're using tax dollars for luxury housing. And they put the 10 units in there to, to push it through. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it's like a drop in the bucket in terms of what we actually need. Yeah. And we have a a super majority of Democrats on city council in Lincoln, right? A super majority. As you said, we have a, big influence of developers and oh. people on the board who are developers and How many are developers right now? I would There's... say most or have connections to developers but in Omaha it's the same thing that reader article it was astounding the data on um, the money that every city council person got from developers um, in Omaha like they just have their hand in the till like it's that obvious. Well, um, and you've got like a Amy very Melton organized so much. Yeah, you have like a very organized lobby and then just like a very disorganized public. And that's yeah. not anyone's fault. You know, we all work and we get paid zero dollars to do this, as you guys say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> who's you know, I think it's also just kind of a testament to um 
you know, how local journalism has just kind of hollowed out and there's nobody checking them and no one has to spend political capital on these things anymore. They just get pushed through. So, Oh gosh, don't even get me started on local journalism. Like (laughs) on one hand, they're critical, right? Like they're totally critical. We, they are kind of like, I mean, they're the foundation of a strong democracy, right? Where they're kind of, they're always watching, they're publishing, they're telling us what's going on. But then they also take political sides, you know? And so you just, I mean, you can see in an election, like it's so clear that Pete Ricketts, right, for example, is bad for Nebraska. But the last time he ran for election, I think both of the major newspapers were like, I mean, we really want to uh, keep on keeping on with Pete Ricketts, even though they watch everything he does and they know he's bad for the state. And then, well, they couldn't have predicted a pandemic would, and it all has hurt all of our families, including all of the people that endorsed Pete Ricketts in those local papers. Um, but beca- And because there's so few, they are terrified to lose their access to the government because there's not enough of them to push hard and like support each other. Mm-hmm. Well, and then the and so they have to like is suffering. And so yeah. they're afraid they'll lose readers. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's an actual numbers game at this point. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, almost all the local papers in Nebraska are owned by Lee enterprises, which is a for-profit disgusting corporate shill of a company that keeps firing all of our best reporters. Like right before the insurrection in, on January 6th, uh, we lost our DC correspondent at the Omaha World Herald. And like all the papers basically used him because if you have one, that's kind of good enough to watch all five, I guess. And uh, (laughs) we didn't have a guy on the ground in DC seeing what our elected officials are doing. We who's nobody else is watching the Nebraska ones unless we're talking about Jeff Fortenberry, because then the FBI is definitely watching him. (laughs) They've been watching him for a while. But nobody else is getting watched. Adrian Smith never has coverage. Basically, never. No. And he is a terrible representative doing Adrian terrible who? things. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, and one of the editors at Seeing Red went to high school with him, and she wrote a blog post about him once and said, I barely remember him because he is so easy to forget. Like, there's nothing mm-hmm. memorable about him. Um but my he's a congressman. My husband went to school with Ben Sass and can't stand him. Couldn't stand him in high school. Couldn't stand his dad, the gym teacher. <laughs> Gross. Gross. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's... Anyway, that is a long kind of windy rant to say it is frustrating that we have a local news problem um, because sometimes they're doing bad things. But also... Uh, they do good things. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's a thing. I just always want them to do better. I have higher standards than what we get. Like right. we often see super clickbaity <clears throat> stuff and I'm like, come on, Omaha and World I Herald, you're out. better than this. <laughs> yeah, Star like, Tribune. In your readers. The North Platte, yeah. was it the Gazette? Like, come on. Come on. Like, don't just let a state senator attack a little old lady with a political opinion, which is what Senator Groney did. And then like 
don't put don't put out an editorial saying like that's really wrong to attack people for asking for records for things the public is entitled to have. Mm-hmm. There's nothing creepy about that. And right. like just for a little backstory, um, Kate High, who we had come talk on the podcast about political dark money, so she is very interested about senators and like making sure they're following the rules. Well, he's trying to be like the local person who watches. It's pretty clear that um, that Mike Groney lives in Lincoln and not in his district, which is illegal. And she wanted to know for sure where he lives. And because there's some real shady stuff in his paperwork. And so she was digging around trying to figure this out. Like, where does he live in his district or not? Because as you remember, and this is not above questioning, as if you remember, somebody who ran against Senator Chambers thought he didn't live in his district. And Senator Chambers had to sit in a public hearing and defend every ounce of water that he used. Yeah, they used he had to defend the to cost say, of his here. utility bills. He had to defend the cost. He had to like prove that he got subscriptions and mail to his address. So the idea that Mike Roney does not owe it to the public, while the most prestigious and brilliant senator that Nebraska has ever had in our entire state history, had to go through that like embarrassing and degrading formality. Um. And then Steve Groney gets to act like a woman who thinks that she has a right (laughs) to know. And then like somehow like frame her as a a mentally ill terrorist woman. And here's what really drove me crazy too about that. She's like an accomplished mm -hmm. longtime small town Nebraska woman. Mm -hmm. And she's also like a little old lady. Like, since when was it a Nebraska value to attack little old ladies? But here's the other thing. That, by the way, are a thousand times more brilliant than he'll ever be. Right. Here's the other thing, though. Not only that, he had all the benefits of the law on his side in that she could not publicly tell anyone about her complaint. The Mm -hmm. law says you can't tell anyone until the findings are complete. And whoever's favor is in, so since it ruled in Groney's favor that he was not out of oh, law. Oh, because she whatever. filed an right. official complaint yeah. with the so agency he, that oversees these things. Yeah. And so because it was filed and it was found in his favor, no one would have ever known even about her complaint. He was the one who got to decide to air it publicly. Mm-hmm. He's that um, thin-skinned. That he couldn't even take his private, apparently, quote, unquote, untrue complaint and just keep it to his goddamn self. He had to air it out in the freaking newspaper and the freaking local newspaper there let him do it. And now nobody even had to freaking know, you know, he got so lucky it was found in his. But that's the entitlement of a freaking old white dude that you will never I also just want to say it is it is just it's not okay to discuss Mike Groney without going down memory lane that he's a nose picker he picks his nose and eats it like I just (laughs) I just think we just always have to bring that up we can just never forget 
that he so, picks his nose and eats it. Mike Gurney actually has been super involved in different TIF bills. It, so if you ever do need a second expert, I mean. Oh, oh no. <laughs> no. No, 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 He'll no. Never. Thank he you. would never. No, no. He would never. No, no. He also uh, flipped off our friend, Patty Panting Brooks. It's because he's so remember classy. That. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I forgot about remember? that. <laughs> Who gets mad at Patty Panting Brooks? I like mean, her political opponent on almost all the things is you know senator tom brewer yep. and and they fight like cats and dogs at the legislature but even he is like thinks she is the sweetest most loveliest mm-hmm. lady on earth and um anyone who hates patty panting brooks is a bad person yep <laughs> you stuff. know what do you know do you know that the the booger picking video only came out because he did flip off Patty Panzing Brooks. And then my kid didn't understand what flipping off met. So we did a video of her asking us what kind of flipping off it was. And it was either, you know, like flipping on the ground or flipping out. She doesn't mm-hmm. still doesn't understand what flipping off is. I mean, maybe now she's <laughs> in third grade, but um, it was on that video that somebody commented about the video of him picking his boogers. So if he would have flipped her off, none of that would have ever happened to him. See, so. he could just Ooh, keep shit to himself. Karma but he doesn't universe. know how. <laughs> nope, nope. And it, it comes back to get him. I don't know if this is true or not, but I'm just going to guess he also doesn't wash his hands in the bathroom. Oh, no, no. Just to guess. <laughs> <laughs> so he probably doesn't keep his shit to himself. That's my point. That's what I'm saying right now. <laughs> <laughs> so i just i need to say that out loud um okay Never can again. you hold on i feel like April? we've wandered a lot and i feel which is fine but we've like we wandered see if there's any other major tiff type things that we're there missing is, like we i feel out. like <clears throat> like i've been super critical um just because obviously it affects schools and and like county infrastructure, you know, um, but there are ways to like improve it. And so I think that that's like a good way to end is like, how do we go from here? So yeah, um, all ears. So there's been like a handful of things submitted or, or um, bills proposed. They never make it out of committee, but I'm hopeful that someday they will like uh, Al Davis suggested um, actually having representatives from the, like school boards and counties that are affected rather than mm-hmm. just the planning commission and the city council. And that's what other, that's what other school or other districts have done and other states have done. So there's also options in some states where um, they can approve a TIF project, but the school district can choose to opt out of it. So they get their tax collections and then. Oh, interesting. So like <clears throat> any sort of agency, not like it could be schools or it could right, be, right. I guess when I get my property tax bill, there's 20 things and they're like, right. they, they get $3, they get, $3 they get $3, they get $3. And they can say, I don't think that this is going to pay off in 15 years. You know what I mean? I mean, and that's actually, that's a whole nother crux of, of the issue is that it doesn't always end in 15 years. Sometimes they stack another redevelopment project on top of it. So then you never actually see huh. the benefit that was promised for 15 years from now. But right. And the thing about that's a whole other issue from now, the thing about when you think about government and you think about 15 years from now is that every actor probably 
is new right. to the scene. And right. also, like, children who are 15 right now are 30. And <clears throat> about when you're 30, right, you start, like, like it's like you're perhaps on a path to marriage or children, home buying, you're paying a lot of taxes, right? So, so you are shifting the tax thing and like, that's huge. Like 15 years is huge (laughs) in the life of a taxpayer. Mm -hmm. Um, You go from 15 years old and now you're 30 and you're like, wait, why, why are my tax dollars supporting this thing? Oh, you just added a new thing. I mean, it's, it's a cycle that you can't get out of. And, and the bottom line, I think the bottom line, cause this stuff gets so messy, but the bottom line is anything we're doing around tax dollars, it should be raising up the working class. So it should be making sure more people have access in whatever kind of spaces we have problems in. So like, across the state, right? We are having a problem. People cannot find housing and like be homeowners and, or even rentals kind of depending on where they are in life for low paying jobs, right? Right. I mean, that would be, that would be a very easy standard. Like if you're going to have a TIF project that is employing people, it needs to be either a living or a thriving wage. Anything else is not in the best interest of of our community. Um, or you're going to have, let's say, you know? so you want to have luxury apartments. Cool. Fine. Have luxury apartments. I think actually <clears throat> probably reasonable people might uh, come to an agreement around, right. You know what? Why don't you have 30% of your luxury apartments be luxury apartments and then 70% can be affordable housing and it's linked to the unit. So even if yep. you sell it, it's still, they get that, you know, um, what do they call that in bigger cities where like, no matter what happens to the owner, rent control, there's some right. sort of rent well, control, yeah. right? right. Um, there's some sort of mechanism there because most of it's affordable housing, but also, you know, maybe we want to say, fine, build 30% can be luxury, really fancy, charge out the nose for them. I don't care, whatever. Um but most of it is for working class people and raising up the standard of living in Lincoln. And so, fine, we'll go with it. And I think, I think there's debate that could be had. We're not even having those debates. The develop, and they're not public for sure. Um, the developers, they, before they even show up to city council, they've already worked with the city council and they, all they do is they just vote, and move it through, vote, mm-hmm. move it through. There's no actual debate right on my block. On my block, there was a giant, I wonder if they got TIF funding and I want to find out. I was just thinking about that a while back. But on my, like my literal block, there's three houses and then the rest of the block was um, a green space, a parking lot. And then it was a building where they made religious materials for uh, the blind. And so they had like recording studio and they did like books, like audio books and audio pamphlets and audio flyers. And they like had a printing press where they made Braille religious materials, Braille Bibles. And like, like it was, you know, it kind of was what it was. So they went, they're tearing it down and I'm trying to figure out who owns, who owns it? Like who bought 
this the lots and what's going to happen next because this is my not just in my neighborhood but my actual block and I couldn't figure it out I couldn't figure it out and finally they start building and I called the city and I'm like I don't understand what's going on here um, aren't there supposed to be community meetings? Aren't they going to rezone it? And they're like, no, no, we zoned it in the 60s. And so then there was like this nonprofit exception where they built this giant warehouse thing. But now we're reverting to the zoning of the 60s. And then they built these two um, these two bedroom duplexes on my block. And like, I love infilling. I think this is the right thing, right? Like, we need to be infilling as much as we can. This makes sense to just, like, increase density. Um, it's a good plan. I'm not opposed to this. But they built really expensive duplexes. And the only people pretty much that are moving in are older retired people. Um, but I have one of the very, very rare neighborhoods in any community where you can walk to the elementary school without crossing any big roads at all. It's all tiny little residential roads and you could let your kid walk by themselves or ride their bike and it would be totally safe. I have one of the very rare neighborhoods that you can do that in. Why did they not build housing for families? Two bedroom homes that cost 260, quarter million dollars are not family homes in an elementary school neighborhood. Like build them where to get to the elementary school, you have to cross a major road where cars go really fast. Build them in that part of town, right? Like in my neighborhood, put like homes, three bedrooms for families and make them low cost. So families with children can go to the elementary school, which is any community's greatest asset are the elementary schools. But we don't think these things through. And literally, they didn't have to because there were no community meetings because they reverted to zoning for the 60s. And I feel like TIF, zoning, property, taxes, like these are can be really boring. And, you know, like I talked earlier about that New York Times um, piece, and we should put that in the show notes, I guess. But people often don't think about how if your values are actually there's space for everyone, I care about diversity, I care about inclusion, I care about raising up people of color or whatever it is, whatever like we constantly change our social media profile badges to, we say all the woke shit, we call out the racists or whatever we do. But at the end of the day, what really matters to every family is affordable housing, great schools, High, you know, not high paying, but good paying jobs. Um, and so, but these are the drivers of those things. These are the mechanisms of those things. Um, getting some sort of like feel good resolution that doesn't fix the real tangible problems that people are facing that hold them back in life. Well, Melody, <clears throat> tell us how you really feel because <laughs> like, <laughs> That was not an impassioned campaign speech or anything right there. (laughs) Well, I think you're bringing up an interesting point about like what people actually really care about, you know, and because we've had, I mean, when we talk about like school cuts, you know, Lincoln and Omaha are kind of one of the last districts that don't have universal preschool. 
Most of the other districts in Nebraska have it because their community has deemed it important. And so they have funded it. And so at some point we're getting to the, I don't know what they call the law of diminishing returns, right? Like we're not getting a return on our TIF investment anymore because we don't have these, we can't offer these things that other districts are offering as a school district anymore. And if you're a family considering relocating, you know, a, a free year of preschool is kind of a big deal. That's a lot of money that you yeah. are saving. It's like a raise, yourself. man. Right. I mean, when <laughs> I went to kindergarten, I was rich, I felt like. <laughs> like. So, you know, so that's another kind of another I mean, piece is at one point you can, you can keep focusing on redevelopment, but. I don't know why Lincoln doesn't have universal pre-K. But I am damn sure the reason in Omaha is because of racism. Like everything in Omaha is rooted in racism. Uh, so that's probably why. And Lincoln probably won't do it because they're like, well, Omaha didn't do it. And we're, even though it's all Democrats running everything, they're like, but we don't want to make Republicans mad. So, like, what if we did a really popular thing and Republicans got mad? Well, I think the issue, I mean, one of the issues in your bigger cities is that you have access to preschool. You just have to pay for it, but it's there. You have access to it. But like when I taught in a smaller community, it wasn't available unless the school provided it. And so therefore the community came together, you know, but, but again, you have people in power and decision makers who have access to it. So it's not it's not such a, a need that that they're pushing. Right. Whereas in I'm gonna make up a town, Adams, Nebraska, there isn't maybe enough childcare. And so the actual mayor and the city council people are on the same boat. Right. And then might vote for it. That's a really good clarification. I wouldn't have thought of that. You know, here, let's swing it back to Tiff. Like I'm just throwing stuff out pie in the sky. I want anybody listening. Like to run for office, you can take any of my ideas, claim them as your own. It's fine. But like, um, what if with your TIF funding, one of the ways you could get approved for your TIF funding is you could say anybody who works here or is like associated with this project in some kind of way, in some sort of really tangible way, we give them, um, you know, a $200 a week stipend to cover preschool. For anyone with preschoolers. And now mm-hmm. you've created, you know, what we love, public-private partnerships. Okay, I don't love them that much, but, like, I know people love them. But then that would create one. It would say, let people – that's expensive. Preschool is $200 a week. Mm-hmm. If you need them there all day eating lunch. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, what were some of the other things that were suggested? So, yeah. So like, I mean, as like, as an activist community, you know, I think part of just like being aware and giving support when it comes up is important. So I'd said Al Davis, you know, proposed, um, including representatives in on the board. He didn't even go, like there was another one in 2016 that was huge. Dan Hughes, who proposed to have the opt-outs, like I said, none of them made it out of committee, but then at the end when Al's wasn't going to go through, he like made a Hail Mary attempt to just get some oversight on it. <laughs> and that didn't make it through either. Oh. So like, 
there's, there's a link in there also, um, like I said, about the history of bills that have come up. Um, um, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, link into this big study about housing over the next 10 years, right? Um, and uh, they said we need about 17,000 units, 50% of them need to be market rate and 50% of them need to be low income. And I think if there's any money from the city or the state being involved in any building projects of anything residential in our city, it needs to be 50% low income, 50% market rate all the way, all the time. And I recently had a conversation with my city council person and I'm like, why isn't this happening? Right? Like, why can mm-hmm. they take the community's money and, um, you know, just extract wealth. And some of these are out of town investors, literally extracting mm-hmm. wealth from our communities. Um, yeah. so that, um, and anyway, it just doesn't benefit us and it seems silly. So, um, I'm going to go in every single project they have. I'm going to be like, why isn't it 50%? You have this little study you did. It says 50, 50, it should be 50, 50. And I'm going to become a broken record about it. Um, <laughs> because I think that it's really important. I also think it's really important that they're proving all these new building projects because we need housing now and it needs to be done correctly. Um, I have 110 units going in by my house, all of which will be low income. Um, I know just at 23rd and Q, they've got like another 200. So um, only 10% low income, I think, or maybe only 10 units. I can't remember. It's pathetic, but Mm -hmm. um, I think that that's really important moving forward that people are, watching the city council docket so they can go in and, you know, be like, you know, I don't know why investors get to continue just to extract, right? At what cost? So I want to make a plug and I think it'll fit in. Hear me out. <laughs> First off, I want to remind, because we're, we're talking around it and I have, we have this line we use a lot on the show that your budget is a moral document and how you spend your money is how use priority how you it fits your moral values and mm-hmm. <laughs> that is true in our city one of the things that came up to me as I was thinking we were talking about you know Melody you're like pie in the sky they should do this they should do that another thing they could do and I was just like doing a little googling here like Honolulu just last year there any project any public works project over two million dollars has to use union labor and if yes. they hire a non-union shop they have to hire union workers and they can select up to seven of their own core employees, but the company would need to hire one union worker for every non-union worker. And then those non-union workers have to pay union dues. Like we could also strengthen the economy and the middle class in our city by doing that. I know oh, like, yes. the little work I've done with the democratic party, like they always make sure they always hire union printers. They always hire union made everything because that is part of their priority. We could do that as a city. The Democrats we hired could do that. The Nebraska (laughs) Democratic Party is unionized, you guys. Yeah. Why are we not telling them let's unionize unionize. city? Okay. So so this also ties into unions for me is because I am a union member and the biggest benefit to me as a union member is outsourcing. I love Stephanie. Stephanie is like energizer bunny. I don't have time to follow the zoning at the city council. I just don't. But you know what? My union does. My union follows the legislature closer than I do. And I do a friggin' pod about it. <laughs> but they're still doing the legwork and I'm just listening. Uh, my union, I don't have time to even write my contract. But my union does. And I call them when I have questions. And so the when we 
support each other in that way. And when we um, join our unions and when we create unions and when we get our elected officials to hire unions, that all strengthens all of it. And so then I don't have to know about zoning. I just have to read the email from my union about what's going on with TIF and affecting schools because I wouldn't know. But we have one, two, maybe gener- at least two generations, I think, that have have not been a part of their unions and they don't know. Like teachers unions are almost like this weird outlier now. Whereas like my parents' generation, very few of them were in a union anymore. And out in my family isn't teachers. So there were none, but my 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 dad was um only did like jack of all trades, but he did like construction and plumbing and heating and stuff. And so potentially he could have been in a union, but we lost that generation and we've lost I really think that's a key part of what kept us all knowing what's going on and kept us all. Well, it it reverts back to what we were saying earlier, about you have like a very organized real estate lobby versus a very disorganized public. Yes. And so, so that is your organization right there, rather than just a few random watchdogs who try to navigate the paperwork that's available online, you know? Exactly. And Uh, I'll give an example, like the union will tell us like every year, all of the education bills and all the other bills come mm -hmm. out. They will literally in-depth review hundreds of bills to look for how it affects families and children and schools Mm -hmm. and communities. Nobody can do that. You can't activist your way out of that. You have got to work together and a union is one important way. Megan, look, you are brilliant. You have done like I feel like we haven't even really like even started scratching the surface of your accolades. We mostly just like jumped right into talking about things that are floating around in your brain. But you're amazing, right? Like you've run for public office. You actively participate in a union. You're constantly hounding city council about this, that, and the other. You're advocating for children, right? You're you're amazing. And, and so I want to know for other people who are like, I want to be amazing too. I perhaps have some potential here. How should they even start? Like what's the first step to getting involved, whether it's caring about to funding, whether it's caring about children, you know, like where do you even start? in a path of advocacy? I really believe that like the person with the most information in the room generally has the upper hand. So I just do a lot of research. And so find something that you care about and read a lot about it. You have a librarian heart. It's research (laughs) and having the information. (laughs) Like, you know, if there's something that you, you know, are really interested in, you just start looking into it and, you know, after a certain amount of time, you know, you're, you're going to soon know more than most people. <laughs> um, and then, then you're, and then you're going to know where to go from there, you know? So who you need to contact and people are really, really helpful if you just ask, you know? So sometimes I just have calls like the County Assessor's office about things um, to clarify, like, what does this mean? What are these, what does a notice to divide look like, et cetera. So like people are really willing to help. Um, if you just ask. That's what happened to me 
uh, in the gun control space. I was like, I have an interest in this. I think this is a problem. And I was like, oh, no, I've fallen in the rabbit hole. Oh, no, I know too much. I can never get out. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm just a frumpy middle-aged mom. How did this happen? Uh, It just happens. Uh, It just happens. You just, yeah, you just read. Reading is the key to everything. Yeah, I mean, Uh, and then you're going to know who you need to talk to and and sometimes it makes a difference. Sometimes it feels like it doesn't. And then, you know, later you're like, oh, maybe they heard that. Um, April. Raising awareness, you know. On the topic of reading, would you like to wrap up the pod with a final okay. question? Well, we always ask if you read any books, a book you might recommend. Could be lately. You can be, we can be loose with the word lately. That doesn't matter. <laughs> Never in your life. um well fiction nonfiction doesn't matter there's no pressure I mean I think in terms of like if you are really interested in like activism Jane Snyder's um the life and death of the great American city is always an interesting read if you're interested in like thriving neighborhoods um if you really are interested in because Melody was talking about zoning earlier I read a book um called The Best Laid Plans by Randy O'Toole. And he's kind of a libertarian in the sense that he's sort of like down with all zoning. And um, he kind of talks about how planning departments just exist to fix the mistakes of past planning departments. (laughs) And so that's kind of like an interesting uh, book if you're interested in like some criticisms of... um, you know, or a different way to look at it if you're really feeling, like I said, it's a little libertarian streaky, but it's it's kind of another side. I like to read different sides of everything so that you know the whole picture. But. Love it. We will add those in the show notes. I think it's reasonable to question rules and like, do these rules actually serve anyone? I, I think that's totally reasonable. I don't, I, you know, I don't think that's... Uh, gross at face value i think the question should we ever have rules well yeah of course we have to have rules there's a fabulous episode from it's always sunny in philadelphia where they decide to have no rules in their bar (laughs) and then the family (laughs) that they hate ends up taking over their bar and they can't (laughs) come out because there's no rules And then, like, the dad of the show ends up doing some, like, pretty, like, violent stuff in the basement. And, again, they, then it kind of ends on that note. But, um, I mean, the moral of the story is you got to have rules. Yeah, yeah. And so these two books are kind of, like, both ends of the spectrum. And you sort of right. go in the middle somewhere. Yeah, right. That's usually the best place to yeah. end up. Well, thank you for coming on. We need to have you come back. Uh because you're awesome. This was and great. I feel like we, yeah, we didn't really get into like a lot of specifics. I probably could have done like a, I was like, do I need a slideshow? And then I was like, oh wait, it's a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we can always have you back. If people have questions, um, we will not know the answers. And then, you know, we can swing back. And if there's something specific coming up, of course, be like, hey, I want to talk about this specific thing. Then come back and we'll talk about the specific thing. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Thank you, Megan. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Seeing Red Nebraska, Politics from the Left. Seeing Red is a group blog edited by citizen volunteers and entirely devoted to Nebraska politics. 
You can support us on Patreon with a $5, $10, or $20 a month donation. Be sure to check us out at seeingrednebraska.com and on Facebook and Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitter at seeingredne or contact us via email at seeingredne at protonmail.com.